Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Nomad, and today we have with us Roman Merrill, a.k.a. Gator, a.k.a. Barley Stone, a.k.a. the homie Romy, host of the Rising from the Ashes podcast with Dan Anaki Dan, which I highly recommend. But today we will be talking about antiquated transhumanism and resonance architecture. How's it going, Roman? Hey, man. Uh, love the video. That's amazing. Uh, the The quality of your... You could tell just by just by speaking with you so far, um, you have this natural, very, uh, very clean aesthetic, a clean art aesthetic, which which I love it. I love it when you can like meet somebody and then just kind of like pick up off that right off the bat. It's beautiful, man. And uh, thank you. I yeah, appreciate you being on here. Appreciate you dig the work, man. This 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 stuff that we're going to be talking about today goes deep um, and, you know, it's scholarly in some ways it's speculative in other ways but it's incredibly esoteric both of the ways so i am stoked yeah man i've heard some of your research you know on other podcasts and whatnot and it's definitely an interesting topic that i don't think gets uh talked about as much as i think it it would uh being as a technological of a society as we are and how many seemingly obvious clues there are to something going on uh, I think you've done a great job at putting some of the missing pieces together. So I'm excited to see kind of what your most recent research has to bring. Thanks, man. Yeah, you know, a lot of it started um, pretty rudimentary when I was just getting into a lot of the um, the aspects of like ether technology, um, some of these, you know, studying the lost civilizations and trying to pick up some of the pieces of the puzzle of, you know, what we call history. And, uh, you know, since starting the podcast and starting delving, you know, a lot deeper into this type of research in this world, I've just been captivated. I, I've been mind blown. And I feel like it was inevitable. It was going to happen, uh, you know, at some point in the life. And, you know, it is it is interesting because there's not a lot of just in your face evidence of any sort of ancient technology that used to exist. Right. And, you know, a lot of people will look at towns and cities and say, look, don't they look like a circuit board? Doesn't this blueprint of this specific huge uh, architectural beauty look like some sort of like electrical battery or something and you're like it is but how like if that was the case and these are the reasons that we have the technology we have now just further advanced in our interpretation of it then how did it work how does it work and those are the things that fascinate me the most and that have driven me to really dig a lot deeper into these topics and you know, I still haven't found a, the exact way to articulate it in such a just here you go. Like I, I, I tend to talk in a lot of cypheric circles. That's because I think I like ciphers myself and I think I like code. Um, but if I'm ever talking too circly, just, you know, don't be afraid to give me a virtual slap and say, hey. Oh, yeah. I'll, stay, I'll, stay focused I'll, here. <laughs> I'll jump in with the poignant questions when appropriate. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um but yeah, uh, you know, let me ask let me ask you a question, right? Uh, because do. it's just in my pod, my podcast nature, uh, you know, as a host myself. Uh, what got you interested in this this here topic, um, or what what was kind of alluring to you to drag you into this? 
Yeah, I think for me, which we've talked a little bit uh, offline on, is the uh, Solomon's Ring. Because to me, that is an interesting part, not only relating to, I, I grew up sort of with a biblical background. So Solomon is very much a biblical character, right? So there's a lot of connections there. Um, and I think the story, if, for those who don't know, is essentially Solomon, who was the son of David, he uh, of King David. Uh, he had this ring that he was given from an angel and it allowed him to essentially control these demons or the jinn. And um, it is the theory is or the story goes and there's manuscripts we found that is where we get this story from uh, called the Testament of Solomon. Um, but essentially, the story goes, he used this ring to construct the temple. And so it was just something that, first of all, that made me think of the jinn being something that we can control, which we have a lot of stories of the jinn interacting with our reality, right? Um, so that's interesting to me. And also the word engineering has the word jinn in it. And so I think that's mm. An interesting point that I don't know if anyone's really looked into, including me. I haven't really dug into it much, but I just thought of it recently and thought it was something interesting. And so that's one aspect of it. But then we have so many, like you mentioned, the circuit boards, you know, the dendrolites in Egypt. Are, we don't know if it's a light, but oftentimes it's depicted as that. That's what they mm -hmm. call it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, there's just like you said, there's lots of instances where we have the framework, but we don't necessarily see the... Um, the full thing right because it's antiquated it's old and so all we have are these fragments and so yeah just trying to get to the bottom of it i've always been interested in magnetism i remember at a young age thinking about when i learned about magnets like why can't cars be like using this so that we don't have car crashes like they should be able to just repel each other um and so just random thoughts like that throughout my life have kind of led me down this this rabbit trail i like to call it mm-hmm yeah man i there's a few things you touched on there that are incredibly important. Um, one of them being magnetism and the lodestone, which is, you know, another name for magnetite, which is the only magnetic rock that exists like the true. It is the true magnet. Now, there are other naturally magnetized things. And then also what we know as normal magnets are pieces of, you know, mineral that we magnetize ourselves like we put the magnetization on it so we have found out how to manipulate magnetization which is incredibly important uh for science and modern mainstream living you know i mean every generator alternator all these things they use magnets and they use this types of uh you know basic hermetic principles of like just the laws of the universe really but there is a secret that lies within the truth about magnetism, and that plays a big part into this today's presentation. Um, but it's still a big mystery, even to mainstream modern science, to what they're letting us be told about the actual force of magnetism, as well as gravity, right? Like magnetism is just as explained as gravity is, which we have- Probably more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And all the alternative theories, they play hard into magnetism as a role. So electricity, alternative, wait, alternative gravity. theories to like uh, alternative theories to gravity or. Mm -hmm. Okay. All, so like density, like density and buoyancy, has that come up at all? You know, <laughs> not necessarily so much in my specific research, but I think 
there so this is really interesting and it's we just haven't even released this episode yet but we just talked to this guy named tom montauk who's an og in the paranormal and ufo realm and we just just talked to him i'll be releasing that episode in a couple weeks so the density density and buoyancy type of conversation is really interesting when you start to talk about outer space right you talk about space travel mm-hmm. um obviously higher technology very simple technology it, this the type of technology that we're going to be talking about is so advanced that it's it's simple it's so simple that it seems stupid how simple it is that there's no way that that very easy basic thing can be so powerful and have so totally. much energy tapped into it that's what the you know in a lot of this i'm not going to get into the ufology today but there's a lot of scholars that actually do correlate a lot of these people like solomon and ezekiel and enoch to have actually associated with extraterrestrials as opposed to angels and that might be a lot of people's interpretation of angels is extraterrestrials that being said the um the shape and the function it uh of the this higher technology is it's just it alludes to numbers and it alludes to math and not like very it, it is complicated math because we're not really we're we're taught to be have to have a grudge with math we're taught to have a grudge with numbers and to sigh culture now sighs at math and numbers because it's oh you know how how could we use that in our everyday life? Well, if you were to tell that to the well, to, to I'm our ancient ancestors, I'm gonna interrupt yes, you because yes. I don't know. I think I might argue with that one. You don't think that numbers are almost becoming worshipped in a way? Well, like they okay, are so God, numbers are God. Wasn't that like Pythagoras' this whole thing? Well, I'm see. I'm not denying the fact that numbers are in fact. I am a number file, and and I have become more of a number file since this research is gone. But I will say. You know, the type, the world that we're in with this materialistic type of consumerist capitalist world, the disassociation between the the importance of the symbology behind numbers. No way in shape or form do I think that there's like not a significance to it. There absolutely is. But the world that we live in right now, right here and now, which is being controlled and manipulated for specific purpose and a specific goal. I don't necessarily know if the main people, are, you know, because a lot of people yeah. don't even under, know who Pythagoras is. Right. And so just to, you know, to lay out this almost like a like, you know, to fluff the sheets of the bed that we're going to be lying in tonight. You know, we're going to like I want you guys to have pictures of different star shapes and mandalas and angles and how these angles are sacred and how they help us with navigation as above so below in the cosmos as well as here on the earthly plane because the root of all of this research what i keep finding out and we're not going to get into this tonight but the roots of it all do come from the true ancient roots which is like eastern mysticism I, in my opinion, all of Western esotericism stems from, from like Eastern roots or, you know, potential like, um, antediluvian roots. I can't, you know, just to not put an East West divide on it a time before, but it does seem to mainly come out of the Vedas and ancient, ancient China and stuff like that. Um, and the runes, of course, so the runes playing a huge important part of that. Then now. Okay, so I'm I'm rambling going off a little bit on the side tangent, but 
it all comes from that. But tonight's focus, we are going to be focused on the Western world, the royal houses um, and Western esotericism as opposed to the Vedic roots. So that being said, you want to get into this? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so um, this the, tonight's presentation is is called antiquated transhumanism. Now I've gone over this presentation a couple different times, um, which is beautiful because every time there's a presentation, there's something new to it. So this is not the same as any of my ones that I've done before. This has, you know, every day is new knowledge in it. But what is staying the same is the name. The name stays the same. Antiquated transhumanism is exactly as it sounds. It is transhumanism in days of antiquity. Now, what, what is transhumanism now in modernity? Transhumanism is a movement that aims to use technology to enhance human intellect, physiology, and psychological abilities. This can be anything from brain implants to bionic eyes, stem cell tech and research, and even exoskeleton bodysuits. Transhumanism is a class of philosophies of life that seek the continuation and acceleration of the evolution of intelligent life beyond its currently human form and human limitations by means of science and technology guided by life-promoting principles and values. There's a quote written by Max Moore, who is a very famous transhumanist. Um, in 1990, he wrote this quote. Now, here's a picture of this man. Just ah, something about it. Just cannot deal with this guy. So there's another here's another transhumanist quote uh, just to get you guys in gear with the true transhumanist of today's world. Like This is a very large population of people that are, are on, on tip with this. And I'm not shaming anybody who is. I'm just trying to paint a picture here. The world is evolving positively due to transhumanism tech and science. I believe it will continue to evolve into a place where living standards and the happiness of all people sharply rise as a result. And in the future, I think there will be more interconnectedness than ever before. While I am a big fan of the individual and their rights, such interconnectedness due to a digital culture will bring us all closer, possibly in ways we couldn't imagine. Eventually, advancements in technology, such as widespread chip implants and virtual currencies and brain wave reading devices, which already exist, will force issues of equality and universality across all communities and borders. Globalization will not just be a slow jog, but will become a full sprint that's a quote from extremetech.com do, do you have any questions about about this so far yeah. about transhumanism and what they're saying <laughs> yeah so getting back to your point you made about it we used to be more advanced but it was more simple i feel like the current quote-unquote wisdom of the day or technology of the day is farther away from the way we were designed to interact with the earth um, and our this realm overall. And so 
Would you agree with that? Absolutely, brother. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of just a mirror of the system that we've created, the simulation, the societal simulation that we've created here that we live in. It's incredibly complex and and over compartmentalized, which leaves people clueless as to what's really going on when you need to have you know your birth certificate attached to your social security card which is attached to this 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 and this to go over to visit your aunt who lives in holland right but if your name was changed when you were you know while you enter and you lost that paperwork when you were 12 years old and what have you now you have to go through all these extra complex steps to go visit your aunt in a place that you should be so simple to on a plane and be able to go. Now, people may argue that the reason that it's not so simple is because of terrorist attacks and, you know, people could do bad things, right? But, <laughs> I mean, how realistic is that? I mean, ab absolutely these things have happened, okay? Let's say that they have happened and I, you know, then, then I get it. But technology itself... Electricity moves in very, very easy and basic ways. And we haven't created electricity, but we have funneled it and we have attracted it through different measurements and devices, and then we disperse it. We are not the curators or the creators of electricity um, or Wi-Fi for that matter. You know, it's simply a set of equations. Now, I say this, but then you can go and look at things like John D's um, mandala works that he used to speak to the Enochian angels and look at that and tell me like, that's an easy and simple piece of art when it is massive numbers and angles all within a circle used to devote different places uh, in, in, in the cosmos and the constellations. Same with a birth chart. Now a lot, like if you look at John D's <clears throat> Uh, and and Edward Kelly's work together, that a lot of it looks like what you would consider to be a birth chart, you know, on a wheel, a celestial wheel pointing at different places on the zodiac. Well, that actually is a lot of this ancient technology that, you know, <laughs> so we're we're dealing with years and years and years of the battle. People say it's good versus evil right? Black versus white, so on and so forth. But one of those many just polarized battles is science versus religion. Now, the type of transhumanism that we're going to be talking about tonight is a religious-based transhumanism as opposed to this incredibly science-based transhumanism that we see now. That is the divide. And that is the divide that gave us the difference and separation between alchemy and chemistry and the seance of science, which has, <laughs> you know, it has all these incantations. But the truth is, in my opinion, that science itself is a religion, which we know about Scientology. But more than that, it is a syncretic religion in the sense that it has taken all of these centuries of information and raiding and pillaging all this 
very, very, very sacred and, and high echelons of ancient, mysterious information dating mm -hmm. back to the antediluvian way, and they're keeping it and they're holding it themselves. So they are using it and they do know about it, but they're, yes. they're putting these major codes on it and then they're, they're dispersing it out from a top down way onto us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Science was a tool that they turned into an idol and made everyone worship and everyone forgot how to use the tool. Uh, and they forgot about God in the process. So I think, yeah, that's how I see it happening. I see us losing touch with our source, the way that God created us, the way that his perfect will, I believe God has a perfect will and a permissible will. So he gave us all free will and allows us to make choices, but he also does his, did his best to give us the foundation to make the right choices if we want to. Um, that's kind of a philosophical rant there, but that's kind of what I uh, gathered from that. And I think another thing I gathered was the separation between the spirit world and the physical, you know, they've really made science more of the materialistic when uh, these things are intangible and I think are they're connected. Right. And I think that a good example of that is Solomon's ring where you know, we have an example where he's using this physical material item to control energy or these entities that are in another realm. Um, it's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad you did kind of bring that up to my attention when we were chatting, uh, because, uh, I hadn't quite delved too much into that for this specific area of research, tying in more of the, um, I was doing a lot more of the alchemical connections of the initiation process of like getting coronated and things like that. But I, I had yet to dive into the, the magical roots of it and the celestial roots of it. So um, it, really, it really helps actually uh, explain this a lot better, uh, especially if people know about these different, you know, about these different timelines and things like. Uh, yeah, for sure. That's what I try to <laughs> our do. Brother that's, Solomon. My favorite, that's my favorite thing to do is iron sharpen iron. Like, how can we. Uh, yes. help each other find the gaps in our research and, you know, and, and move forward. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad that you, ha you have your niche and you kind of have dove into that side of things. And then, yeah, I have a little bit more history and maybe the spiritual side of things. One thing that I will note, and then I want to get back to what you have to say in your presentation. Um, it, there's, and I think it's Islam. They say that the jinn are able to manipulate our reality but they can't change the memories of people, right? And so mm. I think that's also something interesting because people often have like deja vu or the Mandela effect, right? Where people remember something different, but now in our reality, it's not so. Uh, and so I think there's, again, just this weird connection between the antiquated technology and maybe the spiritual realm with these jinn. Uh, so yeah, with that being said, continue, please. Sweet. All right. Can you still see my screen here? Uh, yeah, let me throw it on. There we go. So one of one of my main issues with the transhumanist movement isn't the cohesion and relationship of human to technology, but it is the merging of human and technology. That's where we... <laughs> That's where we start to cross lines 
Um, so oh, transhumanism like, itself. I, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you oh, off. I'm only doing it because you asked me to. So uh, <laughs> tell me if I'm doing it too often. But this makes me think uh, if you could go back or whatever you were just saying, but essentially bringing so the mind or the body is a temple right that's in in christianity that's often what we say um the body's the temple and i see us building our own temples and we're going inside of the temples right in this reality so if we're the temple we're the temple right for these other entities or for god right and so whatever you're letting into your temple into your body that is what is essentially controlling it or you're working with and so you want to be very careful into what you let into your body uh into your temple right which is what exactly what you're saying yes absolutely and i think it's inevitable that we will have these you know these merging of it because like i was saying earlier electricity and you know the internet and whatever isn't something that we've created but it is something that we found and we funneled and we've learned how to manipulate so it's inevitable that we we coexist together in the universe. So these things are inevitable. Now, what I was saying about ancient East, and you brought up the body as a temple, and, it, and I wanted to go to this other tab here because this this stuff blew my mind when I started getting deeper into into um, into the Vedas and into the ancient Hindu, because they are the reason that we consider the body a temple, because their diagrams are in fact the blueprints of their temples are the bodies of gods or they're the bodies of us and i see this picture here is one of the most famous interpretations of the hindu temple and the human body this is exactly how they would build it um, so when you go and you see the temples in in uh in ancient thailand or ancient india or sorry, modern India, whatever, but you know, of the ancient of the ancient ancestors, they have this shape for a very specific reason. And it was emulated to resonate what an energy field looks like. The mandala itself was created on the blueprint of the of the foundation of a temple. So the basis of understanding sacred geometry is hand in hand with worship it's hand in hand with the toroid field it's hand in hand with energy it's hand in hand with architecture and i'll read this article quickly um just and then we'll get back into the, the presentation itself uh, but the hindu temple and the structure of the human body a comparison everything is governed by one law a human being is a microcosmos i.e the laws prevailing in the cosmos also operate in the minutest minutest space of the human being. Hindu temples take their cue from the structure of human body. The vast Hindu canonical literature and agamic texts, the Devalaya Vatsu or the Tempu Vatsu astrology and sacred geography describe the temple as a cosmic man, the Purusha. The legend of the Vatsu Purusha states that the Vatsu Purusha blocked the heaven from the earth and the Lord Brahma, along with many other gods, trapped him to the ground. The science of Vatsu or Vastu is believed to be a part as part of the Indian architecture. Vatsu Shastra developed during the period of 6000 BC and 3000 BC and the ancient Indian text, the Mayamatam, represents the Vastu Purusha. 
as the presiding deity for all land structure meant for temples and houses. The Vastu Purusha Mandala is a metaphysical plan of a temple incorporating course and the heavenly bodies and supernatural forces. The Mandala square is divided into eight times eight equals 64, 64 metaphysical grids, modules or pada for the temples. For dwelling places, nine times nine equals 81 metaphysical grids, modules or pada. At this square, the Vatsu Purusha is shown lying with his chest, stomach, and face touching on the ground and his head shown as the Ishanya, the north and the east. And his legs shown at the Narucha, the southwest. The center point is known as the Brahmasjana, is a vital energy point for Lord Brahma presides in his temple site and protects it. And it goes into the sacred parts of the direction, but I'm going to skip over that. And we'll go into this last little part here. The Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, I am part of the universe, is the great sayings mentioned by, God, here we go, Brihad, Brihad in Aryaka, <laughs> Upanishad, uh, the meaning uh, is that whatever is the universe is present to me, and whatever is in me is part of the universe. India represent the Mac microcosm of the universe and the structure of the human body represents the microcosm. Veda also says that Yathe Pinde Tatha Brahmande, it means that what is going on within human being is the same what is going on in the universe. According to Tamil Saint, our body temple. Here I would like to quote Stella Kramrish. The Vatu Purusha Mandala represents the manifest of the form of the cosmic temple is built and in whom the temple is situated in him and comes from him and is manifestation of him the vastu purusha mandala is both the body of the cosmic being and a bodily device by which those who have the requisite knowledge attain the best results in temple building wow so how does that well, well, first of all, what do you gather? What's, what's your highlights from that? So that kind of skips ahead a whole bunch. Okay. It skips okay. ahead a bunch, but we brought the body versus the temple. But what, what it is, is incredibly important because not only the structure and the shape and the sacred science that goes into building these structures, it it not only it emulates and captures memory. Now there's this great book called the art of memory by Francis Yates. And she was a hermetic revivalist author of this and was ahead, was ahead of her time. Absolutely. Um, and her and a bunch of other awesome writers in the seventies really started just, they started spewing out a bunch of really great rhetoric from the back, from the antiquated days. Now, no, M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C-S, mnemonics, is a memory device. And it is that a lot, all of these old buildings were actually used as devices to obtain within them. Now, we're not talking about just the human memory. You walk in, you're in awe of these places. If you've ever been to like a real capital building built here, in the States, that is a hundred presentation of the truest, highest form of 
real architecture. And I want to say real architecture. I'm not shitting on anybody who who makes houses nowadays, right? I'm talking about real architecture, architecture that that embodies celestial significance. Now, that's so ancient right there that it goes all the way back to the ancient Vedas, which is some of the oldest religious texts that we have to date. You know, not not uh, you know, obviously the cuneiform tablets and Beckley tablets things like that, absolutely. But to have from uh, interpreted and to have completely understood, it is the longest and oldest theological text that we have from that. So there's a lot of truths there, and what it means is that we were accessing something completely different during the time when these temples were a hundred percent in their full functionality. And what that means is that we have been led astray on the path and we have been, uh, I guess, slowly guided away from those truths, which is sad because it means that we are not, we are not at our optimized performance here. And they want to keep this information for a very specific, high initiatory uh, type of knowledge person, which I get. You know, you don't want to take everybody to your favorite swim spot, right? You don't want to take everybody to your favorite beach because if you take them to your favorite beach, they might take someone else to your favorite beach. Next thing you know, everybody's at your favorite beach. I get it. Oh. Also, though, if you're trying to control people, then it's uh, a lot easier if you make the system that they live in and they're unaware of the true nature of reality, the true nature of the system, right? We have this sort of um, faux reality built on top of what, in my opinion, is the true creation. Uh, and so I think that's what's happening, or at least that's how I see it, is we're being distracted by these this shiny new technology, but it's not really the the true technology that we are capable of. I think you're hundred percent right on that. And uh you know <laughs> I oh gosh, it's 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 so deep. A lot all of this is so 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 very deep. So a lot of times it takes me a little bit to be like, actually, like let's 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 hone in these words so that we can try to articulate what we're actually feeling when we're talking about these incredibly deep topics, because a lot of times I just kind of want to scream and run yeah. away and run out, run out, you know, um, but but absolutely. And the the true nature and function of us is all very unique and, and very unique. And one of these sacred sciences for a reason that has lasted so long and is such a high importance in magic is astrology and astronomy and in every way shape or the form uh astrology and astronomy are some of the highest forms of magic now we are all different and we hold these different magical qualities inside of us and a lot of those are connected to what our astrological signs are now you know a lot of people turn their noses to this woo woo talk if you will about what you know what's your zodiac and so on and so forth but it's incredibly old and it's incredibly important because these archetypes will actually help you break open the egg of your true potential once you start to hone in on these archetypes then you can start to understand more of yourself and then you can be a better version of yourself which thus in turn makes the world a better place yeah 
I agree. I because I believe there is a creator above us, right? Like I, we're creating new new life and so forth. I think there was something before us, some intelligent design behind where we're at today. You know, however far back you want to take that. But um, I think the thing that point the thing that stands out to me is that we have the ability to do a lot more and we're being distracted. So what do you think is the way to get back on the right path? Hmm. Well, one, just being open to people's ideas and opinions without getting upset, which is something I think we're all going to work on every day. And, you know, not, not getting upset with yourself is really important because it's just like going to the gym for your body in the physical sense that you need to constantly work out in order to, you know, to keep up that muscle thing. You know, it's, it's an everyday thing. So, you know, okay, I'm going to say it real simple. This is it. Breathing, Amen. focus, <laughs> breathing, focus, breathing, and specifically something that will help people as it's helped to me is single uh single nostril breathing where you take your thumb cover nostril breathe in breathe out and then you switch to the other and when you do that your both hemispheres of your brain start to start to work together and, and you'll actually work the uh the magnetism of your body to be let because you know when you have one side the negative is going a little a little bit hotter than the south terminal then you start spinning and you'll start to um become unaligned spiritually and, and mentally and you'll have a lot more fatigue uh but those the simple simple breathing techniques can really help us bring us back right there into center and what it does yeah. is it center us down i can confirm and even if you don't do you know research and do these specific complicated techniques they're not even that complicated but mm -hmm. just take just take a minute and breathe like just focus do it intentionally i don't think most of the population ever really intentionally breathes um but just taking one minute out of your day literally to intentionally breathe will change your life <laughs> i agree um i wanted to also circle back on what you were saying about astrology I think that if you do believe in a creator, you do believe we have full potential. A lot of times, I mean, everything we do, right, has templates, has archetypes. And so to me, that's what I see astrology as, as helping identify those architects, those, those archetypes, those templates of personalities so that you can do some self-reflection, right? And maybe see some of your blind spots. Now, I think where it gets dangerous is when people, they see what their sign is and they try, they make that their identity and they, they're essentially forcing themselves to be something or they're not allowing them to reach their full potential because of what their sign says they are. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's a lifetime of decoding. So we have to get to work now because this this is no easy feat and it does it takes it takes its time to understand these types of things like this is why like you said earlier you know this, this our swords sharpen each other <laughs> sounds kind of funny but like you know awesome. we are all here together to cohesively work together and that's why it's like we have to listen to each other and you know i'm going to listen to you when when you have something to say about what i'm saying just as you would listen to me when i you know 
speak upon what you're saying. And together we unanimously make a stronger bond and a stronger connection. And we figure out more together. Thus, and you know, you have your revelations on your own. It's like, right. It's like you're in a band. Okay. And you go home, you write the cyclic. You're just like, Oh my God, that was epic. You bring it to the boys. The boys help you hone it in. You guys write a song together. Next thing you know, you're playing shows on the road. Bada bing, bada boom. Lights go off. I'm up here shredding the six solo. Oh, God. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thanks, man. Snaps, I love music. Snaps. Jazz. Yeah, man. Well, how that's a great segue. How does have you found any um, connection there between the music and technology? You know, I know architecture oh. is often referred to as what is it? Frozen music or isn't that kind of the, mm -hmm. the terminology being thrown around nowadays? Um, which I think is great. And I think that that is a big part of this. You know, I, I have a, I'm planning an episode on cymatics soon because I think that is hugely important. I know you've had some talks on that as well. And we do seem to see these cymatic structures within some of this architecture, right? How do you think people were using that? Do you think that, um, it was still traditional, building as we know it or do you think they were using sound in a different way to sort of carve these stones and structures well everything has sound and whether it's minute or it's very loud there everything has a scale of vibration the vibration is sound it makes a noise every planet has its specific resonance and it plays a huge role because architecture itself is actually the highest one of the highest forms of the initiatory work now that's what freemasonry is right freemasons are high level architects and they have the ancient knowledge of laying the cornerstone and the angels or sorry excuse me angles which seemingly are the same thing because like in the in the keys of solomon or in the solomon ring the seal of solomon these angles that they use the you know the star of david right whatever what have you are actually used to either capture or release or whatever angels demons it doesn't matter they are so that's why angels are called angels and angles are called angles and the angels gave ezekiel the sacred angles to be an architect and to build the temple right the angels gave the sacred angles to man to create these buildings to emanate a home for us and a connection place to them now that also pays a lot of homage to why we build on sacred sites and ley lines places with heavy electromagnetic energy so can i ask a question ahead. on that do you think yes. that the original intent was positive for all of these sort of or most of these ancient structures or is it possible that they were made in a way that taps into our emotions and how we feel things in a way to sort of manipulate us? Does that make sense? So it is manipulation, no matter whether it's good or it's bad. The True. You are, you know right. what I mean? You're manipulated yeah. when you go in there. 100%. Now, speaking, speaking of whether it was positive or negative, that's a tough one. It's a really tough one because... Solomon's in the Bible, but when does it ever talk about him summoning demons or writing Goetius in the Bible, right? So like he's he's portrayed as a really good guy 
And I'm not well, saying he's he not did a, a good lot of guy. crazy things. I, it's not necessarily he was like a super holy dude uh, that never yeah. did anything wrong. Um, <laughs> but however, and in, in, in that story, it's not canon, right? So the, the great thing I love about the Bible, you know, a lot of people have their opinions. Again, you can manipulate with it, but it does have a lot of historicity behind it. And it has a lot of these stories that have been passed down audibly and then eventually put into word but you find the same stories in every culture. Um, Mm -hmm. And so to me, that is what lends to this library of humanity, which I call the Bible. Um, And so I think, you know, there's so many stories that are terrible in the Bible, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's how like Christ would have us to live. And I think that the thing that comes up is like, I don't know if it's necessarily bad if he was using this ring to like control what we call entities, right? And again, that could just be a mechanism that we don't necessarily have a better word for. Um, so I mm-hmm. think my my point is that do we think that these, what's a great example? I guess maybe the pyramids. Let's just, that's, everybody knows the Giza pyramids. What do we think is the percentage chance of those being originally for good versus bad? And okay. good versus bad versus Beautiful. I mean like um taking like controlling people against their will, which is what the Bible describes as witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, witchcraft is like just the use of magic, not towards the favor of the royal house and what have you. Yeah, I or think whoever's it, in the- it oftentimes gets manipulated into like don't look into esoteric, but I think really mm-hmm. what it is if you look into it is it's like don't manipulate people against their will. Like that's yeah. like essentially what it's talking about or how I <laughs> perceive it. Yeah, white magic being like, you know, for your spiritual gain and black magic being for your material gain, you know. At the and, expense and, of others. At the expense of others, which generally, I mean, yeah, your spiritual gain will give you other gains as well and everything else follows when you when you're in, in tune yeah. with spirit and so um that you know it I, i'm like as i'm sitting right next to this book that's enter hakate's garden which is a book on witchcraft and then also i apparently am sitting right next to the book of thoth by crowley and other <laughs> books so i love witchcraft and i love the dark side of things but i also I also, you know, I'm a very light and rainbowy kind of guy. Like I make really happy music. So, um, you know, the dichotomies are beautiful, but, but just to get back to your question, I think the pyramids of Giza were a, um, at a time in history. Now let's look at it like this, the ebb and the flow of the different architectural styles, um, through history will answer the question of whether they were used for positive or negative manipulation. Now, The, I think the antediluvian age and the times of like what we quote unquote know of Lemuria and such is is a time of a beautiful symbiotic relationship to uh, to humans and the earth. But then you start to what, see the can I separation. Ask why, you, why you think that, though? Well, yeah, so a lot of it's intuitive how I feel. Um and kind of you know you live on the big island of hawaii that is one of the homelands in lemurian folklore these island chains are the tip tops of what used to be this land of lemuria hp blavatsky describes a land um in the pacific ocean that was once covered with water we've had on von galt who is a laotian woman who has been 
able to basically almost prove that Lemuria was in fact these islands. Um, she's a Laotian woman that has been able to talk to the high shamans of the indigenous tribes of and the indigenous peoples of these different island cultures. Now, you can't be a white man going in and saying, well, hey, let me talk to you, you know, your, your most sacred shaman, and hopefully they'll give me these deep secrets that I'm looking for. But since she is like a native woman, she's able to actually have gone and she's discovered a lot of great things. So I suggest if people are interested in Lemuria folklore, uh, and myths and stories to go check out Von Galt. That's V-O-N-G-A-L-T. She's amazing. I also suggest that you talk to her as well. Uh, she's awesome and you live in Hawaii. But yeah. um, so I feel that way because, uh, you know, because of the theosophic work of Lovatsky and the energies that I felt while being uh, immersed in this type of Lemurian energy by living on the islands. I've been blessed to have been out there for around 10 years. I've been off and on living on the big island for 10 years or so. And it's insane. I just, I can't really put a lot of words to the magic that's there, the energy, the, the magmatic and the volcanic energy. Um, it's, it's amazing. <clears throat> now, like, I think there's, yeah, we were talking earlier, like there's always going to be a polarized type of battle happening between the the red, the blue, the black, the white, the science, the religion, you know, the, but the thing is, is why it's inevitable is because it's hermetic and the hermetic laws explain such the use of or, or energy and electricity is it's the Trinity. And we need, <laughs> we, we should keep going on this presentation because I get into the Trinity here. Uh, but this, and I'll explain it, positive negative mercury okay you have the negative pole you have the positive pole and you have the mercurial solution in between that's a battery that's how things work that's how the earth is in the relationship to the sun the moon and the earth right like there's just these three qualities that is the basic principles of conducting electricity and funneling electricity so we're Did always going to have the dichotomy did you have a theory on uh, that? Just the, what you were just describing reminded me. I think I heard you describe something similar relating to the cross and how that is, you know, atop of a lot of um, the architecture in a lot of our cities, right? And then you talk about how that has some significance, like conductive properties mm -hmm. or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the cross itself, I mean, it's it's insanely symbolic. <laughs> There's so many, so many symbolic interpretations of it. Now, what I have kind of come to terms with in my research, and it's still evolving and still growing and going. So, um, but you can look at it as a body. Now, the cross is a lot of times an interpretation of a body. And the reason why the cross is always the blueprint of a church or a cathedral, it is the blueprint of a cathedral and hands down that's the original cathedral blueprint was the body of a man ring any bells right the ancient hindu temples were the body of a man but this was the western version so they did it more of just a, a basic cross now the cross is four points you have the four elements you have and this is completely alchemical it's it's a symbolization of the cosmos within the body so the water element, the earth element, the air element, and the fire element. The fifth element is ether, right? Um, or it is the embodiment of mind, like beyond 
and all interconnectedness. So the cross itself is the symbol of a body. It's a symbol of completion. And it also is the, um, so if you take it on a two-dimensional level and you take the central point, the cross where the heart chakra is, and you have that toroid coming and shooting out, you have these four different points going together. They're all, I'm fire, I'm water, I'm earth, I'm air, and they're shooting towards the central point. And what happens is, is they meet together in the middle and they shoot up a huge energy line. And then that energy goes up as far as it can, and then it comes back down and then to those four central points and creates that toroid shooting up. And that's what a pyramid is. The pyramid is this as well. That's why these cathedrals have these huge spires and these, these things that go up and they go up to a point and then they shoot down. They're creating a force field of, of energy around the perimeter of the building that gives it its protection because the the architects knew how spirits worked within the realms of sacred geometry they knew how spirits were honed they knew how our spirits worked so if you take the living breathing spirit and the bodies of humans and you put them into this energetic technology of the building and the and, and the cathedrals you're enhancing the energy that's being permitted outside of the building. That's why when you walk into these places, you can feel so good. You can feel so amazing. That's because it literally is almost like a battery for human energy and spirit energy. Yeah, and that's why I wonder. I just feel like I've had the most personal growth doing things that are so internal. That's why I wonder if these structures were used more in a manipulative, negative way. Because to me, I've really found it transformative. Things just like learning how to pray for my enemies. That has given me more peace than any building ever has. Mm -hmm. And so I just, that's just all I wonder, right? Oftentimes, and it's fascinating, right? These things are beautiful. But I often wonder if it's like we're letting our aesthetics almost get the best of us sometimes does that make sense it does and, and that's just just goes back to the really simple technology what's the most simple technology exactly. yeah yeah is our bodies and yep. the body is a temple so the temple you don't need to go to these you know but um the manipulation i don't think is necessarily always negative now i Not think always, that they're no, for sure but but what now we're being we're being involved in is in fact manipulation on that sense. So it's unfortunate, but uh, you know, when you do your cymatics video, definitely take a look at the stained glass windows of cathedrals and the rose window specifically. It's always above the door. That's the third eye of the building. That's where the 12 o'clock sun comes in. The cathedrals have these specific windows that emanate the different times of the sun. Um, because when the when the foundation is laid, they know where the sun rises, they know where it sets, so they build the windows according so that it shines on the altar. And the altar is like it's supposed to be this inner dialogue, this inner story, the inner vision, and so the sun from the outside. So what they're trying to do with this is they're making basically like a large body. And they're making um, I don't know if you've listened to um my buddy Juan from the one on one podcast. He goes oh, yeah. uh deep into the homunculus and we've done 
architecture speaks together. Like we've started to get nerded out on this. So, um, so you can consider the, um, the buildings, a version of the homunculus, um, as an alchemical feat. Now the homunculus totally. is a, a little body, but the building is a big body. And so, you know, what do you need to make a body work? You well, you need to have the inner workings. You need to have the cells. You need to have the, the guts and the intestines working inside that you need to have all the organs working. And so that's what people are there for in these buildings. And that's why these buildings aren't fully functioning anymore is because they're not being basically taken care of. It's a machine and a piece of technology that needs constant maintenance. You know, when you're flying a ship, you know, uh, you're, you're going to have an entire crew of people that all have different jobs. And so when you look at those Hindu temples and they have these different chakra points, well, those chakra points, just like in our body can get clogged up. And if they're not fully aligned, then that body itself is not going to work. So these different pieces of antiquated architecture are bodies, but they're like corpses because they're they're not living anymore because we're not giving them the energy in which they need to fully function as a body and as a piece of technology. So do you think it would be better to focus in on making those things work or just focus on your temple? Well, you need to work on your temple in order to even <laughs> find that to go in there, you know, but then again, you might only be able to work on your temple with a community because as as easy it is for us to say that we it's easy for us to go inside so forth some people might need a little extra encouragement a little extra help and that's where i think these types of places are incredibly important and i think even church can be important in that you know the community aspect now yeah. the rhetoric that we're spewing exactly you know and we're never alone but so i think it's i think it's both um now you do need to do internal work. Everybody will inevitably at some point go through a hermit stage, hopefully. You know, um, society doesn't really condone hermiting. They they say it's weird, it's antisocial, so on and so forth. Yeah, okay, great. You know, you haven't gone to a, an outing in six months, dude. Like, come hang out with us. We love you. Like, we love you. We want to see you. That's healthy, but it's also incredibly healthy to to stay home, to journal, to take baths with yourself, hot, salty baths, to smoke a joint with yourself on the cliff for a few hours, you know, like to just shut it off, to go inside. And even if you're not having the biggest revelation of all time, you're doing some sort of healing work that's happening that you might not even realize in that moment. Yeah, man. I mean, think about it, right? Like, and when you're around babies, when they're growing up, they literally just you have to like tell them things multiple times and then they start repeating <laughs> you like it's like you're training you know it, that's how we are we're trained we're so we're programmed from the day we're born your parents your friends your teachers your pastors your, your everyone your favorite musicians your poets they're all telling you what to think how to feel what to believe and the only way in my experience to really get to the truth is to get rid of everything everybody's ever told you and take time to think about what your thoughts are without any external input. Oh man, beautiful. And that's a great segue into, into to this because we've been talking about the architecture quite a bit. Now, 
that intuition that you were talking about or that those questions inside you, like forget it, what everybody said and go inside of you. Very important, brother, because when you do that and you are looking for a question, now this is where a lot of this technology comes into play. And then right after this, we'll get into the presentation, I promise, because we're already at an hour. I love this oh, conversation. It's all good. I love just talking. I mean, people can look at pictures and slides all they want, but to me, the back and forth is what's really valuable. So I love Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, um, but to tap into to intuition is to tap into the etheric to tap into the akashic and that is what that is what's happening you're tapping into the ancient information when you go inside of yourself when you're completely aligned when you're breathing when everything's lined up and you have a download as they call it or you have some sort of information come to you that you don't know where it came from that is tapping in and that's real. No one can take that away from you. You have you have gone into the library. You have read that book. It is there. It's imprinted in you. And you tapped into the etheric, to the Akashic from that. So with that being said, let's look at the crowns and ask how the crowns of our ancient past that were used in absolutely every single culture dating back to even some of the oldest stuff that I'll bring up later. This is tapping in, man. This is tapping in to the intuition because our heads are symbolically the cosmos itself. Now, this is an old alchemical Rosicrucian text or art, which I love. Um, and, you know, you could spend your entire life decoding just like one of these photos a lot of times, you know. But so you see up here top, you have the crown atop of this. Right? You have the crown here. Mm -hmm. You have a crown here. And this whole thing is a staff. It's a caduceus on its own. It is the mercury. The mercurial solution, you have the sun, the moon, you have the positive anode, you have the, the negative anode, or uh, sorry, cathode, anode, mercurial solution in between. That's what all this hermetic art is about. It's representing the energy, the life force, primordial energy. And the crowns go, and there's another crown down here. Look at that. One, two, three, four. And then <laughs> you have this sheep here that's hilarious um so this just shows you like that there's something more than these crowns represent than just what they're telling us they're just representing power money you think the rosicrucians gave a flying fuck about money and power in their alchemical workings the answer is no so the crown is a symbol of power is i mean dare i say it's wrong but it's a symbol of intuition the seed of intuition and power and oftentimes you're going to see crowns with one two three four five six seven because there are there were seven planets seven 
is incredibly important. Now, every number within the, the Decad is incredibly important. But seven holds a lot of magical incantations, especially with our brother Solomon that we we're talking about. Now, you know, that's the serpent, the Solomon, the seven, the septenary. Um, this, this, and it's it, it pays homage to the ancient wisdom of the serpent wisdom, the Oracle of Delphi, the the inner energy, the 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 caduceus, right? Like the 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 S in the the seven. It is just so important. I can't stress it enough. I really, really, really can't. So what what do you think it is about the serpent that uh, is so important in our reality? Because it is it permeates everything. Permeates, and we're dedicating on rising from the ashes the entire month of January into getting guests on, interesting guests, and diving deep into serpent symbolism. So well, I would love to be on there, or at some point in a discussion, I've had some interesting uh, serpent entity encounters. Ooh. Oh, well, absolutely. Um, you know, I would love to get you on to either do a full uh, a full episode or we get bring you on as a co-host when we talk to a guest. And yeah, whatever. Be we amazing. can just chat about it. But yeah, if you ever yeah. want to know more, I'd, I'd love to talk about it because it is so interesting. You know, the serpent in the Bible is referred to as a wise entity. It's also... Mm -hmm portrayed as like the downfall of man um <laughs> so it's it's a very uh what's the word i guess divi divisive character as well and so i think it is a super interesting topic so yeah i'm excited for that it will you know you bring bring it up a good point so like thinking about you know lucifer is the light bringer or the light bearer and um luciferian you know it has a serpent serpent incantation to it but doesn't make it negative now i'm not over here saying lucifer is negative because when you say something like the light bearer bringing light is a very very good and important thing where you bring light to the night and now we have a fully illuminated moon or you bringing light to the night and now we have day you know it's it's very important so i think the serpent energy uh, and the serpent archetype is is important now is it negative or is it positive well it's inevitable and you know it's really interesting to look at um to look at it from the biblical standpoint because uh you know you have the serpent of the garden and it brings the downfall of man in that sense well that's kind of what this this search for knowledge and information does is it brings the downfall to your current being. Oh no, I've tripped and I've gone down this, this rabbit trail, this rabbit hole because of new information, this new light that has come to the dark hallway. Now I need to go further down this. So we talk about, you know, um, the archetypes of architecture through the history and the ebbs and the flows. Well, is it because we've gotten more information from this serpentine energy, which is inside of us, 
it's inside the earth you know the reason why the caduceus has these two snakes wrapping up around it coiling around the spine and the kundalini energy that permeates in that this the coil it, it, it's a it's a symbol of centrifugal energy the centrifugal force because through to have centrifugal force through the magnets centrifugal force is through magnetism you need to have a north a south and then together inside of that, you have the energy. So that's what the sun, the moon, and the two serpents are representing. And the Ouroboro is essentially the two serpents, but it's one. It's the same type of, it's the same archetype, really. So is it positive? Is it negative? It's inevitable, but it is us. We are the serpent. We yeah. are the serpent. In the In the Bible, how I understand it is like Satan and that character is its purpose is to help our souls evolve that's like it it talks about i forget the specific verse but it talks about um how essentially the serpent or the or satan will will cause different things to happen in our world but essentially it's helping our soul evolve to the next process um so that's kind of how i look at it like i i, I kind of think it is sort of like a negative entity in the fact that it's it's maybe like uh, it's it's the adversary. That's how Jesus describes mm -hmm. it. And so yeah. whenever you need a competitor to help you get to the next point, right? That's mm -hmm. like what its job is. That's kind of how I see it. Um, I'm curious though, could, would you mind really quick going back to that last, uh, the the um, illustration, the black and white illustration you had? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that's back. a good one. Uh, this is known as the eye of Odin, Odin's eye. Um, sorry. And did you have one, one more back? I think. Oh, one more back. One more back. Okay. Let's go. It's like here. the caduceus, like coming out of the fire. Oh, let's see. I see. Whoop. Here we are. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So when I saw this, what I thought about another passage in the Bible is a conversation between God and the serpent and they're talking, um, and God asks him like where he's been and he says to and fro in and on the earth. And so when I see this, I see, you know, you mentioned Mercury and we found Mercury beneath a lot of these pyramids, right? Um, what's the one to to you? Teotihuacan. There we go. Yeah. That one, especially, right? It has the serpents on it and everything. Mm -hmm. And it has, I think they found mercury below that. And so to me, what I'm seeing here is the serpent being channeled from below into our reality. Um, and anyways, that, that's just how I, how I picture it and how I see it. And which, which, which kind of correlates with what you're saying with the body and the serpent coming up the body, right? If earth is like a macro version of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the symbolism of fire in the serpent um is deep too <clears throat> so there's yeah, there's I'm a interested, lot of, i've given yeah. the because when i hear uh, the serpents often referred to as fiery and fiery actually is translated at least in hebrew from what i understand as like poisonous as well um have you mentioned anything or found anything re relating those two by chance no I, you know i haven't but if Hmm. Now, if Mercury as a god or Hermes is a serpentine type of energy, um, which, you know, would explain like some of the serpent symbolism with the caduceus, 
Mercury itself as a mineral, not talking theologically or astrotheologically or anything, as a mineral is able to eat gold. Now it can absorb and amalgamate gold on its own and, and just keep its, you know, high like silvery color. So, um, you know, I think there's an alchemical uh, symbolism, uh, symbol interpretation that comes from that, you know, because uh, a lot of times, like a lot of these texts will be like supremely cypheric and you're just like, what, you know, what are they talking about? They're talking about a green lion. They're talking about it, you know, a hippo and a peacock and what's going on here. So, you know, when they say the fire is poisonous, they might mean that the the fire has gotten absorbed by the mercury and, you know, it needs to fully come to its more pure self um, and separate from that um, right. un okay. until it comes back again. It might be an alchemical interpretation. No, but that's um, good because that's, again, that's like the antagonist role or the, um, uh, yeah, like it's the competitor, right? It's like it's competing against what's already there. So I think that does, yes. that does make sense, at least in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it does like a lot of times if you hear fire, uh, especially in, in old text, you're going to be talking about something else than like an actual physical fire. Um, unless there's, you know, being like the fire burnt down the library, then like, like no, that's real. But you know, the, they'll say like in the primordial fires or the mercurial fire or something. It's, it's definitely uh, allegorical um spiritual fire you know so on and so forth now this this photo here uh was when i was starting to get into this understanding like the uh the crown and what i was when i was looking into all of this research i was like i was reading folk nelly's work the mystery of the cathedrals which is an amazing book and i was just i couldn't read more than a page because I would just get so mind blown in every single page of the book, I'd have to put it down and I would take notes and I would just like, I, I started having my alchemical awakening, you know, my, my journey within the esoteric research started to blow up. I started to have just, it was crazy. I think it was a due to like time and it was everything, but um, that's when this work started for me. You know, this work is a journey through me and my my awakening process of like understanding a lot of these more esoteric ideas in the occult. And, you know, so, well, we have an, a history podcast where we go into alternative history. And my partner, Dan, is it, um, is big on like a lot of Norse mythology and stuff and the box saga. And so I've gotten a lot deeper into that realm of things. And I never thought that. um Norse mythology uh, or even those those types of religions were contained any science in them or alchemy, right? I was like, no, they're they're Vikings. They're just savage brutes. Of course, they're not doing like alchemical processes and high sorceress magic. Right. But as it turns out, brother, they might have been some of the original home source of the ancient technology. Now, looking at this photo right here, this is an alchemical photo. It's not a Rosicrucian. Just looking at that's very classic European Rosicrucian art from the Renaissance period. Classic to a T. This is Norse alchemical art. It's yeah, so it looks, it's hermetic. It it looks Irish to me too, like Gaelic. Mm-hmm. And so this is Odin's eye, which is just symbolic of life itself. 
Um, here's his two crows. And, or ravens, sorry. Dan hates it when I call them crows. Here's his two ravens. And uh, here's the sun. Here's the moon. And they're circling each other with what? Centrifugal force in the Ouroboro. So these two crows are symbolic of the two serpents. They are exactly symbolic of that. This is a serpentine energy. It's 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 just an animation of sorts. It's and so I started to delve into that, and then we had you know we started talking to more people about uh, Norse mythology and things on the show, and it turns out they were alchemists and they were master alchemists, and there might even been like you know the some of the uh, Hyperborean culture that is one of these many lost civilizations that we speak of. And so they might even hold even older, more sacred knowledge than a lot of these European or the Eastern. So interesting. But the crow, the crow's beak is an alchemical term for the first process of the, uh, the stage of alchemy. Um, it's called the crow's beak or putrefaction. Um, when you're, when you're turning your material into a composty like material, that's a crow's beak as black as a crow's beak as the alchemists call it. And so I was like, Hmm, okay. Crow with in crown, the crowning, the coronation comes from Corona and the crowning. I was like, okay, so this is a birthing ceremony. This is an initiation initiation. You are being initiated. You are being crowned. You are in the first part of your alchemical journey into going to the highest echelons of, of occult magic and occult initiation. That's what this is. And so, uh, that's, that's when I had this huge revelation about this research, um, with the crown, the word crown and, and, and looking at the alchemical term of the, uh, of crow's beak and putrefaction. Then I started to get, um, obsessed with magnetics, magnetics and magnetism as well. And like we talked about, like, it's fascinating. It blows my mind. It, you know, what is it? Like, we don't know, but we do know. Because our spirit knows and our intuition will tell us everything we need to know about whatever questions that we have. And I love ancient India, man. Like I just can't, I can't shake the Vedas. I can't. I love the Vedas. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think there's some of the most beautiful culture that's ever lived. I think there's such high, beautiful, detailed artists. And they were, they were a golden age of, of period of time in my opinion you know i think they had their problems as well but it's definitely one of my favorite cultures man and this is um this is a crown from 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 the ancient uh ancient eastern days i'm not exactly sure where this crown is out of but this is an ancient hindu crown and it's symbolic of a golden egg of a funnel and when you start to look at your head as a magnet and your head is a computer is ahead as a um as a funnel for celestial information and celestial knowledge and it's not just a funnel it's it sends energy as much as it gets energy and that's the that's the hermetic practice and hermetic balance that when you wear something like this that is amalgamated gold made and created like you know we we think about gold right we think about gold what's the first vision picture it comes to your head when you think about gold and how we get gold how we get it i mean i guess you know, yeah the first thing that would come to mind would be mining right mm -hmm. 
the 49ers, right? you know, right? And then what, then what about that's after been, that? That's what's been put in our head. Uh, after right? that, I, my head goes to alchemy, like, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, alchemists trying to make gold or, or also yes, like yes. The, the lost, the lost cities of gold, right? That's always mm-hmm. been rumored. El Dorado. So, and if we can, so we, th- that's also high occult knowledge, right? So we're just, we're taking stabs in the dark at a lot of this, but we, what we do know is that like in order to make jewelry, you have to amalgamate the gold to a certain extent. And then you, you know, you go um, through your art process after that. So they had access to all the minerals to make these, to make these trinkets. And if they were working with magnetic spots on the earth, um, and getting supercharged by, you know, having these minerals around all the time. Imagine the intuition you'd be able to tap into. Imagine the charge you would feel from this. You know, these aren't just adornments. These are tools and amulets that hold energy from this cosmos. So what they would need to do is they would need to emulate the space and the stars and the earth and all of the symbolism into the crown. We went over this a bit already, just the, the alchemical process. I'm going to go through some pictures of these crowns and we could just chat through all this stuff. Sounds uh, good. But oh, the pictures aren't coming up. What's up with that? Uh-oh. Okay, here's one we could talk about. This is the Albanian crown. Now, <laughs> I like this is another part of the world that it's just like, what's going on in Romania? What's going on in Albania? What's going on in Russia? Like, you know, the East. The if if you're an American, like, and and, and unless you're like a super nerd and you're studying what's really happening in Eastern Europe, we don't fucking know what's going on in Eastern Europe. But it's definitely nothing like Britain or France. You know, they're very specific and have such a beautiful and rich culture that is tied to the ancient mysteries as well. And they hold their science very, very near and dear to their hearts. And that's why I will never get involved in this whole Russia, Ukraine scandal, because like this is something so much deeper and esoteric than the mainstream will ever get it credit for that. We're talking about some ancient, ancient battles of, of real knowledge that has nothing to do with mainstream politics. Now, that's a huge side tangent, but the Albanian crowd like there's there's massive symbology that goes in here now a lot of times when i see like these ram horns or like horns like this i'm automatically getting like a dowsing rod vibe um a lot of times like when cathedrals would be constructed they would have a um like a statue of a of a goat or a ram on the side of it and you know some people could say like oh it's the age of aries or you know they they you know having you know uh Aries look over them for like war and protection or what have you. But, but to me and some other pe- researchers as well, that symbolization of a, of a dowsing rod of an, of a very specific, important part. And, you know, dowsing is more than just finding gold and water in the ground. Um, but you can douse information from the cosmos. You can douse healing. You can douse financial things. So if you're wearing a dowsing rod on your head, 
you might know where to go all the time. <laughs> you know, you're, you're hunting in some master navigational skills. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting with this one. And it's, um, it's, it's called Skanderberg's helmet. It's made of white metal adorned with a strip dressed in gold. And on its top lies the head of a horned goat made of bronze, also dressed in gold. The bottom part bears a copper strip adorned with the monogram separated by rosettes. So yeah, that's heavy, reminds, man. <laughs> yeah, if that's going to hurt your neck for sure. That, maybe that's why they just need really <laughs> strong necks. The stronger the neck, the better the fighter. <laughs> um, for real. It, what, it, what it reminded me of, though, is the sort of conal shapes that we see um, in like humans, human skulls, right? We have a lot of evidence of these more conal shape human skulls. Uh, and a lot of these crowns, these ancient crowns have a similar shape. So I find that interesting. You know, dude, that is such a good point to bring up. And it's so fucking interesting. That's a whole thing. Uh, and we need to do an episode round two on on that um because you know we know that you know there is a lot of shaping of the heads right like to take but we don't find a lot of skeletons like that so but i that could be something that a lot of archaeologists are not allowed to talk about is skull shape and size um you know as we all know here uh or if you don't you will after this archaeology is a beautiful job but it is controlled and it is it is silenced left and right. And the Smithsonian, the different corporations that run that are They're tied curators. to some secret societies. Yeah, very much cur curators. So as much as They're I love curate this away what, from you <laughs> and into me. Oh, what did yeah. we find? Like, sweet. Yeah, they'll never they'll never really truly tell us. Now, that being said, there are people who are doing sweet arcade archaeological digs that like are not working for them who right. they don't get Every the once same in a while time. get something out yeah yeah that's about it bro like honestly outside of that you know um there's a good guy uh we talked to marco vigato uh last year during our atlantis month and his partner um down in mexico i talked to his uh on the patreon his name is Alexander, and he's a he's an architect. He's the only real architect I've ever actually spoken with so far. Uh, and they have a a um, what is it called? Uh, they have their own archaeological company that works specifically in Mexico. They get personal funding. They get oh, everything legal and permitted, and they're digging up in Mexico at some of these pyramids. So there's there's some people to look out for, you know. Uh, and we need to support places like that. And sure. support digs like that, man. Uh, you know, I don't want to say too much on the air, but you know, we talked a little bit about you know making some sort of documentaries, potentially doing some art collaborations. And if that were the case, man, you know, people know that we'd be coming up with some real groovy, groovy stuff because I could tell your aesthetic, uh, primo. You would <laughs> great job. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I would love to dive deep on multiple topics. I'm sure we could come up with some great documentaries. Oh, man, that's a dream. Uh, that is a dream. I'm going to read this here uh, about the Albanian mythology, and then we'll continue on. Mythologies are amazing. Uh, there's so many cultures to dig into. It's, it's hard to choose one. Anyways, uh, this is a little bit of mythology on Albanians and, and something to do with the Skanderberg helmet. 
In Albanian mythology, the physical phenomena, elements, and objects are attributed to supernatural beings. The deities are generally not persons, but personifications of nature, which is known as animism. The earliest attested cult of the Albanians is the worship of the sun and the moon. In Albanian folk beliefs, earth is the object of a special cult, and an important role is played by fire, which is considered a living, sacred, or divine element used for ritual, sacrificial offerings, and purification. Fire worship is associated with the cult of the sun, the cult of the hearth, and the cult of fertility in agriculture and animal husbandry. Besa is a common practice in Albanian culture consisting of an oath taken by sun, by moon, by sky, by earth, by fire, by stone, by mountain, by water, by snake, which are all considered sacred objects. The cult of the sun and the moon also appear in Albanian legends and folk art. Beautiful. I love when you bring up these ancient mythology stories and read them. Thank you, yeah, man. <laughs> like you said, like you said, there's there's so many great stories that have gotten us to where we are today. It's it's fascinating. And that that little story is it's riddled with alchemy. It's riddled with yeah. uh, you know, and lots of things we we're just talking about, like the fire, the snakes, and the serpent. So this is I'm the reason I'm put it in here too is just to cross correlate all of the cultures because we're looking right now at these these crowns are in every single country in every single culture of every single time there is no separation between it so this is a worldwide cult this is an absolute like if you are in a high political level if you're in a high magical level if you're anything you you know about this stuff and that's why you wore these adornments and that's why i'm doing this research is to bring this up the swedish one is terrible God, it looks like a, t a child made it. But a lot of these are actually... Uh, <laughs> it looks like it's made of candy. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, Ukrainian one, terrible picture quality. I'm sorry. <laughs> but these are not... These are awesome. These are Ukrainian headdresses um, used in, in beautiful religious ceremonies. Yes. Saint Olga of Kiev is Ukraine's patron saint of divine and vengeance. Adorned with a crown, probably seven jewels atop it. There's a Portuguese one. Pretty cool. It's toroidal, definitely. The owl on top, which could be symbolization of Lilith. Or this kind of looks like a octopus, right? I mean, these there's like the a cross here, which is a body. The, the scepter yeah, and the, that's super the, interesting right i didn't wait this is polynesia i don't have the country name here but this one i remember being that's terrible i'm sorry uh okay. you get the <laughs> yeah idea like that I, the shape is super interesting right exactly yeah like this is portuguese this is <laughs> <laughs> I hate that I don't have it on there. It's okay. Um, it's okay. But they both they both have that similar shape, right? Where it kind of like arcs around. 12, it looks like that one, one has two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. I was just counting these. I was wondering if there were 72 of these beads on here because that would blow my mind if that was the case. But it's not. It's more than that. 
because <laughs> uh, why, why 72 crown of jesus in the 72 thorns okay. um on on the crown of jesus's head there's also massive symbolization not symbolization symbology that goes into the number 72 and some of it ties into our brother solomon that we we're talking about earlier and the 72 demons of the goetia and 72 archetypes now i i now i need to bring this up now that we're talking about 72 this blew my cat back okay <clears throat> 72 divided by six is 12. okay why is that important okay <sighs> because 12 zodiacs right there are 12 zodiacs on the wheel so when you make a divinatory wheel you make a circle when you're doing magical practices you always start with your circle always start with your circle so if you're going to make a uh, a six-sided 12 point star that's 72 points that you're putting within that circle and the 72 angels or the 72 demons um, of goetia now we can look Look up real quick. Look up the um, uh, the rotunda of the cow of Washington D.C. This this is kind of like what that number encapsulates. Like seventy two is is important um, for occult practices, uh, magical practices, um, and the seventy two angels. On the flip side of that, the hermetic side flip is 72 demons right but demons don't necessarily have to be bad these are just archetypes all these things are are archetypes they're rolled that are are they're inevitable um capital rotunda here we go and let me share this tab instead now the capital buildings are like <laughs> they're did you have something you were going to share Yes. Oh, yes. Share the screen. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry about that. I'm like talking about things you guys can't see. I'm terribly sorry. Um, there we go. Where we're are you good now. Here? Okay, we're good. Yeah, I'm looking for the photo. It was there, but now it's gone. Goodness. Um, so on the top of this uh, rotunda is... 72 angels sitting around George Washington. George Washington is writing the, here we are. George Washington is, <laughs> is writing the rainbow into the eye of the rotunda surrounded by 72 angels. Now that, you know that, right? And so this is the U.S. Capitol Dome. When you're looking up at the rotunda, this painting is at the very eye of it. And remember earlier how we brought up the eye of Odin? Yep. Right, right with the with the the crows riding around it. Mm -hmm. Now, this is an oculus. There's another word for it in 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 the Greek. Oculus is an eye. This is the rotunda. This is the oculus. And so, here's George Washington. Here's and, the and rainbow. Where's the where's the rainbow at? Right here. Do you see it? Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and then all of your other uh, characters, you got, you know, Poseidon and um, Lady Justice here and, you know, so on and so forth. The horns going uh, and yeah, you see like even in the middle, that's where the, the true eye is. And so this is symbolic of the of Norse mythology, which blew my mind. Like, why why are we so obsessed with with Norse mythology? Because the rainbow bridge that Odin rides on his eight horse, you know, <laughs> like that that's that was George Washington as an Odin archetype, going into the eye of Odin, to the eye of the building. Like it just and the seventy two characters around. Them, was also yet again i'm like wow it was just it just blew my mind yeah that shape also reminded me i don't know if you still have it up but it reminded me of the the pine cone the yes. you know you know the image of the like sumerian dude like holding the pine cone with like the watch um there if you're looking like from the bottom of the pine cone up that's like what that image reminds me of and, and yes. that's how our that's how our eyes work, right? Getting back to the Oculus, we have cones yes. within our eyes. So yeah, it all relates for sure. Which these yes. buildings and again, this... again, these buildings are are mac or micro versions of like the cosmos or whatever, right? It seems like we're just trying to emulate it or bring it into this reality. Absolutely. And it's funny you say the pine cones because that's a huge esoteric, you know, oh, yeah. it's in the Vatican and everything. But the tops of these buildings look, they could be interpreted as pine cones as well. So it's like you're like looking into the the pine cone going straight up. And yeah, like, absolutely. I love that, man. Great observation, brother. Um, here's a little quote, which kind of paints our picture even even broader here. In Nepal, certain crowns possess an esoteric power when held in the hands or worn of the, or on the head of an initiated tantric priest. Such objects are potent symbols of esoteric Buddhism of Nepal and enshrine the status of tantric specialist in Nepalese Buddhist society. The act of wearing such a crown plays an essential role in the construction and visualization manifested of power. So the it just kind of emulates um, more of a picture, this serpentine kundalini energy that is said to be flowing around in us. And if you're trained in the breathing practices, in the singing, uh, you know, in the in the resonance sciences and the initiated sciences, then wearing the crown will enable you to lock in further into these powers and these energies, these godlike vibrations of how you can tap into the Akashic. Yeah, I think it's honestly like how psychedelics work. I bet they had some sort of formula with these um, with these crowns and scepters working together, probably also with the throne would be my guess. I think, you know, it's like the Trinity, mm -hmm. like you said, it's like those three together working to harness and to better focus the intention into the etherical as you say i absolutely it's like a perfectly blank canvas right and the blank canvas is um is your slide right everything now. No, I'm just everything that's 
<laughs> everything that's painted in it, it has very specific detail and it's on purpose so the throne plays a big 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 part of it it's the chariot it has these etherical wheels right like it it is it is a transportation device <laughs> you're sitting in the captain's chair and mm -hmm. you're 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 basically full up and so in order to touch on the psychedelics aspect that we we're talking about there is alchemical concoctions that are created no doubt synthesization of materials given to us by horticulturalists that's why horticulturalists always worked and there was a really good like being a horticulturalist is a or a botanist is a is a huge job especially in the ancient times it you know it was it was sacred knowledge so in order to know what these plants could do i mean you're a shaman basically at that point like a shaman can you know is a spiritual person but also is basically a botanist and they hold that that high information so yeah all these things play a role and that's why when i was talking earlier about the cross itself there's going to be every single aspect of every single element in order to be able to enact these like high powers that the other slide was talking about like that the the tantric um the tantric priest, right? Like a tantric priest, a an, an initiate or a knowledgeable person, right? Like so these kings and queens in your power. Um, you know, and a lot of times I think it, it was the same of what's happening now. I think, oh, this is a really good one. Sorry. This is classic. This crown is classic symbolization. This is meant to enact the highest godlike vibrations um you have you know you have the sun coming out behind you have the snake coming out of the third eye you have the toroidal temple here the cone just beaming your energy out and giving you a protective force field that's coming out from that and look looks like a fucking pine cone almost bro beautiful yeah and and what else does the top of that look like a dreidel or a bell i don't know oh bell absolutely okay so yeah this is an ancient hindu um helmet or crown and their culture did <laughs> look like bells it blows my mind i mean we haven't even gone down that rabbit hole today but yeah that's probably a whole episode in and of itself for sure i i would love to do that i would love to do that this picture <laughs> is this hilarious full of symbolism but basically like you're wearing all like here's his throne right like his throne is very important he has all of these little amulets talismans and tools down here and he's wearing his his polarized suit and one foot's up and one foot's back and one hand's up and one hand's down but this hand is down but this hand is also up and you know he's just looking valor valiantly into his into his luxurious life now that he's drinking the alchemical solution and becoming so enlightened right and that was the that was part of the power sickness that kind of took this time over is they they became so drunk with the ability to tap into these vibrations or to tap into this and i mean alchemists created alcohol 
They're the ones who alcohol and alcohol in a sense is a philosopher's stone. It is one of the many different uh, goals of alchemy is to create something so pure. And that's what alcohol is. It's pure in the sense of an alchemist. In alchemical terms, it's pure because alcohol can't go bad. It can't get tarnished. It can draw out the spiritual and the, um, the medicinal qualities of a plant or a psychedelic. If you were to make mushroom tincture, exactly, clean it, purify it. So now chemical stone is a philosopher's stone in a sense. Alcohol, when made correctly, when made intentionally, when made truthfully, and not for money or greed, like we experience alcohol now in our culture, it is a actual tool. And you can make a philosopher's stone and then and then plop it into a uh, a bucket of alcohol and have a philosopher's stone tincture that is monatomic gold, it's silver, it has all these qualities. And then you could take a drop of that and be basically like, you know, that could be a form of the fountain of youth, so on and so forth, what have you. Now, we're at like an hour 44. I got to cap it at two hours today because I got to go run into town and pick somebody up. So I want to kind of, Get, get through the crown thing and we're going <laughs> to be like this is the po- whole the whole picture of the thing is it's not just the crown everybody my be- beautiful humans it is the crown the scepter and the globus crucifer those are the three components to making the human battery the true transhumanist antiquated days the people in power had these three pieces of technology that helped them elevate their consciousness and tap into these godlike vibrations and it stems back from ancient egypt no doubt probably before but this is really all we got (laughs) we're working with ancient egypt here that's not good enough i don't know what is um but the crowns come from that and the serpent comes from ancient egypt um the head jet uh is one of the two original headpieces obviously again in a what conical form conical shape so it's just supporting more of that uh that talk that we were talking about earlier and you know it's also so the orphic egg is a big 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 one that um is talked about in these esoteric circles and that's kind of what the crown represents as well they're wearing an orphic egg here this is an egg and this is the serpent coming out of the egg it is an orphic egg as an adornment and after the two um sections of egypt were united we had the hedget and the deshret come together to make the shent which is both of these which is the masculine the feminine coming together to create the unanimous adornment um which is perfect that needed to happen you could not have those two headpieces coming together that is the marriage that creates the bond and puts us into um, a unanimous relationship with ourselves and here's just some other cool art places around the world like obviously sitting on his throne um, swords are also play a big part into this iron um is said to esoterically ward off demon spirits and demons cannot mess with iron iron locks spirits out so iron sword 
uh, adorned with sigils and adorned with jewels and adorned and encrusted with very specific things are very, 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 very useful. And armor and all of that is completely other conversation. <laughs> We're not even getting wonder, into that. Yeah, go ahead. Bro, I wonder, I'm just thinking as you're talking, I wonder if there was a belief and maybe this happened, but maybe like if people were on the battlefield and you know like slicing people with a sword like maybe they were worried about uh any entities that might have been in their enemies like trying to get into them or something and so they protected oh. themselves with iron i don't know just oh. idea as you were talking there. i love i love that i love that and i'm sure that actually did play a role and that would be interesting kind of rabbit hole to get into is to um, you know, to look at this, right, these these tools of technology, but then to go into the ancient military aspects and what type of esoteric spiritual things they were putting into their creations and stuff like that's really fascinating to think about. Because um, if these were like spiritually intertwined cultures, um, getting into spiritual battles, but they had to get into physical battles as well. What did they believe about other energies coming into them? Like what happened? You know, that's super well, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely part of their culture, right? Oftentimes, these wars were started because of entities that were channeled, giving them advice on war tactics and things, uh, at least from what I've researched that has happened. Uh, and I mean, we see this today, right? People use, uh, God told me to do this as like an excuse to mm -hmm. do terrible things. Um, another thing that i wanted to bring up you had a recent picture that kind of had like the whole package right it had like the scepter the crown the guy was had mm -hmm. like all the different parts uh the kind of to tie this whole episode together at the beginning you mentioned a magnetic stone i believe and are you familiar mm -hmm. with the stone that the uh was it like the royal family of england or whatever they have like a yes. stone that they transfer everywhere with them and keep under the throne are you familiar with mm -hmm. is there I, any correlation am, there you think i think there is a correlation I, uh, that let, let's look it up really quick this in stone because yeah it's super interesting the whole magnetic uh, aspect of this and then you know, that they're very, very specific about this stone. Well, one thing I didn't bring up, oh, the Stone of Destiny is an ancient symbol of Scotland's monarchy used for centuries during the inauguration of its kings. Mm. Seen as a sacred object, its earliest origins are known as uh, the 13th century. King Edward I of England seized the stone from the Scots and had it built into a new throne. Yeah, so basically... That is super fascinating. Because um, Scottish Freemasonry, so, right? That's like the history. And then it seems like almost the, the British or the English uh, like took it over almost. Well, yeah, I think I think if they took it over or they just absorbed that right, tradition. Maybe it was a rebranding. Re <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of what has happened on a global level, to be honest. You know, like I think the wearing the crowns in general was like a wink and nudge to, to this thing and um, but to touch magnetism parks, I haven't brought this up yet. We are some of the only animals in the world that have uh, magnetite clusters in our brain. Uh, so magnetite is super fascinating. If you're to take a piece of magnetite, a real magnet, and you're to break that one magnet that has a north and a south pole into 10 other pieces, each of those 10 pieces would thus create their own north and south pole automatically. 
and start spinning on each other. Interesting to think about. Right? Inside our brains, we have magnetite inside of our head that not every animal has. Only specific animals have the magnetite cluster in our head. And that's crazy because the animals that do have it play significant, significant roles on navigation. Whales, birds, uh, dolphins, and other other animals too. I can't. I don't have the whole list right now. It's actually going to hopefully pull it up. But uh, when you enact metals into an already electrical body, um, conductive materials, and add them to the magnetic energy uh, that's being created in our body constantly, especially through the gold that's running through our system and the magnetite clusters in our brain and all of the electrical responses going off in our body, uh, you know, and then you have grown with zone of destiny underneath you, just up in the fucking charge. Then you have your crown and your scepter and your globus cruciger, which is still one of the biggest mysteries of this research, the globus cruciger. And what does it hold inside of it? What is inside the globus cruciger? Like, <laughs> I haven't figured it out, and I've had so many of my good friend researchers um, in the realm, and now you're on the case too, man. We are looking for what is inside the Globus Cruciger. You know, is it is it ambrosia? Is it the full stone? Is it virgin can you give, blood? Can you give a, just a quick uh, history on what that is, just so for anyone who doesn't know? Absolutely. So I have a slide pulled up um, with the Globus. OE. Oh, we're still in the scepters here. Okay. Well, I just, I did just have it pulled up. Um, so the Globus Cruciger is the final part of the marriage here. And, you know, it's, you see here, the man and the, the woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Okay. Oh, a little bit of a lag. Sorry about that. So you see the man Very and the good. woman and they're holding a scroll together. That's very symbolic, right? Like they're basically got this, this, this scroll, this document that unites them together. And she holds the globus and he holds the scepter and they're both wearing crowns, right? So this is a unique picture because you don't see this often. A lot of times it's all together and oh, it's a terrible photo. Sorry. Uh, all together in one package. You have, look how jeweled out this one is. You have the scepter, the globus cruciger, and the crown. And they all play a huge role in it. But it is the marriage of the left and the right brain, the hemispheres in our body, the kundalini energy, the masculine feminine within. That's what ancient hermetics, hermeticism believes, and that's what ancient knowledge is. Ancient knowledge essentially is ancient hermeticism. And because, you know, Hermes is said to, come from the god Thoth, who was the son of Ra in ancient Egypt and was basically the diviner of all real knowledge here. So to, to enact the both masculine and the feminine inside of us is, it is that, you know, and also this is a key. It looks like a key. It looks like an ankh. You know, it is an ankh. That is an emulation of an ankh. The ankh is, the Globus Cruciger is an ankh. Um, and so let me get through some of these uh, other slides to get to. Oh, oh, goodness. Okay, well, um, 
hold on one second. I want to I want to show you one more slide. This was the revelation that was coming up with today after we were chatting and I was doing some research. Um, So you you brought to my attention to look deeper into the Solomonic magic and the Solomonic seal and him as an ancient architect and a magician and a sorcerer and, you know, just a huge character in esotericism, like giant. So like, I thank you for that yet again. And yes. that sent me on a whole new rabbit hole because I've already been working on this project for so long that I'm like, you know, I couldn't talk about it all day or day, but I was like, this adds something really fresh. So I got really excited about it. And um, while looking that up, man, like I was just getting epiphanies after epiphanies, but this, this is a piece of art by Lucas Cranach, um, the elder. And he was a Renaissance artist that was, you know, making symbolic and cryptic photos what i thought was really interesting is he did a lot of antichrist photos um and photos not calling him photos paintings sorry drawings and i can't zoom in too much here but this is one of his really famous ones and you see this dragon character here on the ground that's like got this like the alec tongue coming out of his mouth he's wearing a crown here you see Mm-hmm. He's wearing this crown. And so I started to think, I was like, uh-oh, you know what I think it is, man. This, like, we talked about a global kind of society and worship that is, that is, that's come over. It's like, if you're in a place of power, you you're wearing a crown um, to basically symbolize that you're in the club, the secret club. And well, Solomon is the high magician of free Freemasonry. And I was like, oh, this is like the ultimate, like these people were, are in these, these secret societies. They're in these ultimate places and seats of power. And they are signifying that they know Solomonic magic, that they are the keepers of the keys of ancient esoteric knowledge. And this right here is the uh, coat of arms of the Pope. Now it's had a lot of variances through the time, but it's always stayed like this. So you have their crown here, triple layer crown. And on top is usually like a little globus crucifer or whatever, but you have the keys coming here. Everything's hermetic is balanced, right? And the gold and silver key. And Oh, here you go. Here's another variation with the bees. And then you have the seal of Solomon. And I was like, oh shit. I was like, these look, these look just like they're in that same type of vibe. You have the top of the crown here in the middle. You have this hermetic balance, a split that's, that's surveying like toroidal and ethereal, ethereal uh, energy. Definitely astrological semblance there. And so I started thinking about the number 72 and how it played such an important role in the Solomon and Solomon's ring and him being able to draw these mandalas and capture energy and capture spirits, capture demons in this shape. And then I started thinking about, wow, what if these different demons, these different energies can actually 
into your body through using the crown or the seal on top of your head. And you can basically funnel in these energies by wearing it. And that is a godlike vibration because when they put these things on and do their ritual, they're literally asking, they're putting sigils on and they're doing sigils in their practices. And they're asking for something to take over their body and to shapeshift. And that's the archetype of play vampires and the supernatural starts to be a real part of the psyche in our reality experience. And that's what I think this major cult is that is basically running everything as they have this ancient Solomonic magical knowledge and they're doing this shit on the real. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we, we may have different opinions on this, which is awesome, but I think that I've seen the sort of serpent energy being that adversary that is like teaching us how to grow spiritually, but by like causing a lot of physical confusion, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, the uh, e- Egypt in Egyptology, I think it was Apophis was like the great serpent and it was known for like chaos. And oftentimes it seems like within chaos is this sort of like order in, in a way, in a weird way that it, it seems like order, but it's like in a, it's a, it's like strategic chaos. And so I feel like this, this serpent energy has been channeling into the leaders throughout our history and, and essentially causing um, turmoil, causing competition. So anyway, yeah, that, that's it, sort of it, my take on it. And it it could also be like used for good, of course, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I do know that it seems to me that I don't need anything physical to interact with the living creator, if that makes sense. I, absolutely. And I think that's what a lot of the yoga practices and some of these, these ancient like actual practices teach us. Um, and the songs, um, runes are meant to be sung and words are meant to be sung in harmony. You know, we talk too much, you know, we talk too much as a species and we're the using like the ether around us and the energy around us because the energy around us moves in harmonic frequencies and it moves in perfect variations. And when we get our thoughts muddled up with that, with the words and the confusion, we're modeling the energy. And so to go in and to harmonize and to sing with ourselves is to clear the energy around us and therefore creating a better world, in my opinion, as well. Amen. I think that's a great way to wrap it up, to summarize it. Your body is a temple. <laughs> Don't forget it. Don't forget to breathe. <laughs> Thank you, Barley Stone. This has been great. Can you let the people know where to find you if they're interested in learning more? Heck yeah, man. And thank you again, brother, for having me on. This has been a blast. Probably actually my favorite time presenting this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is definitely, the energy has been really nice. It was really chill. Um, You know, I wasn't extremely caffeinated either, so that's cool. (laughs) I, I think it was good. Anyways. Uh, rising from the ashes podcast check it out we do different monthly themes um and we're pulling on some some major weaves um that are important to us in our research and uh got a great community going on over there so grateful for the podcast 
And we started another podcast called Moon Mysteries, where I teamed up with an astrologer, Kaylee Burkana, and we are doing two episodes a month. One episode is dedicated to the transitions of the moon and the astrological energies happening that month. And then we also just talk about different articles and moon gods or whatever. And then um, the other episode of the month is where we interview an actual person and have someone who's written books on it coming. So moon mysteries and rising from the ashes, man. Yes. Awesome. Love it. And you guys can find me at nomad.art or on the Patreon forward slash nomad. And we will see you all in the next one. Peace. Woo!